What's going on? Welcome into the Tuesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by SeatGeek. I'm Daniel Salerson, alongside my co-host Jim Eikenhofer of Pelicans.com. We continue with our NBA draft preview uh, this Tuesday as we head on to the number two pick. A big thanks again to Rod Beard from Detroit News yesterday for talking about the number one pick. And it seems pretty consensus that as of now, Cade Cunningham is the guy that will go to the Pistons at pick number one. So now... I guess the draft really starts at pick number two with the Houston Rockets. And joining us today is Craig Ackerman, radio and television voice for the franchise. Craig, good afternoon. How are you? Good to talk to you. Hey, uh, good to good to hear from you guys. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Uh, Things are things are good. It's been a little bit more of an extended offseason than we're used to around here, but uh, things are good. So I appreciate you guys again having me on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're normally not talking with uh, about the Houston Rockets when it comes to the lottery is, you know, they've been a, a, a consistent playoff team for, for years here and now um, have pick number two. So, you know, talking to Rod Beard yesterday, it seems like Cade Cunningham is the man at number one. So where do the Rockets go from there at number two? Do they have a, some, a person or player that they have in mind or are they kind of flexible with what they might do at number two? Well, you know, we have the Rockets, we have a brand new front office. Um, and so this is sort of uncharted territory. Um, as you mentioned, also the Rockets picking this high in the draft is something they haven't done uh, very often um, in their entire franchise's history, but um, haven't picked this high in, since they picked up Yao Ming and uh, what, what it was, 2002, 2003, number one overall. So this is uh, uncharted territory, new front office. Um, the, number two is where this draft ultimately will become extremely interesting. Um, you know, the Rockets have been linked uh, to all four of the top four guys uh, in this draft, Cunningham, Green, Mobley, uh, and Suggs in one form or another uh, in the media. Uh, my guess would be it's obviously coming down to either Jalen Green or Evan Mobley. Um, my guess would be that there probably is a decision has not been made uh, as of yet. The Rockets, again, have been linked to also trying to move up, but I don't know um, if that's necessarily something they should do sitting at two, um, especially with potentially what it could take to ultimately move to number one. I think they're still sitting in a really good spot. And keep in mind, the Rockets here, whoever they take, whether it's Green or Mobley, they're in a situation where this is a, a little bit gravy. I mean, they're coming off – Again, um, their third worst season in franchise history Um, and going into the draft lottery, there was a chance that they could have lost their pick altogether if it had dropped out of the top four going back to the Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook trade with Oklahoma City. So the fact that the Rockets actually landed inside of the top four and got number two, this is a really good situation for the Rockets to be in. Honestly, I have really have no idea what direction uh, they're going to go in. My general philosophy um, when you're drafting, especially when you're drafting this high, is that you go with the player who you think is A, the most talented, and B, has the highest upside. And whether that's Mobley or Green, that's who you select. You feel confident about that selection and you move forward because the Rockets, even though they had a bad year last year, they have three or four really good, young, talented players that's already part of a young core to build from and, 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 and move on from last season with to pair along with whoever they pick number two. And they also have 23 and 24 in this draft. So um, it's, it's, I think these are actually interesting and fun times, all things considered where the Rockets were say a year ago and then where they were throughout the course of this past season. And I, I, I actually think the future is pretty bright around here. That being said, does position 
matter at this point with the Rockets? You mentioned three first-round picks, number two overall, and you mentioned guys that are completely opposite as far as their position with, with Green and Mobley. Does that mean for, for the Rockets it's it's literally about just certain skill sets and not about a position to fill? When you are coming off, what, 17 wins and had the worst <laughs> record in the league, uh, it's, it's, it's not about fit. It's about best player available, especially, again – when, when the Rockets get to 23 and 24, right, if they end up keeping those picks, then I think maybe you can get a little bit more selective in terms of role and fit there. But when you're when you're picking in the lottery and you're especially picking in the top three or four of the draft, in my opinion, you always take the most talented player on the board when it's your chance to pick and you worry about fit, you worry about position and all that stuff later because typically in this league – it's all about elite talent, elite talent wins. And if you have uh, the teams that have more elite talent tend to win a whole lot more. And so again, whether the Rockets view Jalen Green or Evan Mobley as if Kate Cunningham is indeed taken number one overall, if they, whoever they uh, decide is the most talented player there, that's who they, in my opinion, they should take regardless of position, regardless of fit. One more for me before I hand it off to Jim. You talked about there have been some rumors linked with potentially the Rockets trying to go up to number one if possible. Um, do you think there's much of a you know a separation between Cunningham and the other picks linked in the top four here, or do you see it more of a you know you can get just as good of a player at two as you can at number one just based on whatever one how everyone's rating these players? Uh, I don't think there's as much of a gap as there would be, say, if Zion Williamson was in this particular draft, right? I mean, I, I think a lot of, again, a lot of people think Kate Cunningham is going to be a terrific player for a very long time, as they do with Jalen Green, as they do uh, with Evan Mobley. So all things considered, I don't like, again, if LeBron was in this draft, I think you you try to move up. And if LeBron was in this draft, nobody's trading out of number one overall anyway. Um, so I don't think the gap is that significant where the Rockets – um, should go crazy um, in a potential package um, to the, the Detroit Pistons. Now, they do own the Pistons protected 2022 first-round pick from the Christian Woods sign-and-trade um, for prior to the start of, uh, of last season. And I don't think the Pistons, as of right now, are able to trade any of their own future firsts for the next handful of years. So that is a particular bargaining chip if the Rockets do want to throw at the Pistons to maybe move up to number one, the Pistons slide down to number two. If they also feel the same way that there's not much of a difference between Cunningham, Green, and Mobley, if they can still come away with a player that they're going to be very happy with at number two, that maybe they would be interested and then pick up some additional assets in the process. But if the offer or the request from the Pistons is so large, um, if I'm the Rockets, I stay put at number two because you're still going to land a really, really good player at number two. Greg, one of the things that you mentioned was that, you know, having the number two pick is kind of gravy for the Rockets based on, you know, a bunch of different circumstances. I think it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, if you, if you compare what happened with the Rockets this past season, it's very similar to what happened in 2019 with the Pelicans, where you have a star player who basically forces a trade and it happens during the season, which is very messy. Um, as opposed to if it happens during the off season, you have a little bit more time maybe to, figure out like, okay, what moves do we need to make and what our plan is going to be. But um, what was the experience like of, of going through the situation with James Harden um, at the beginning of last season? I know people here unfortunately can relate to having gone through a similar type of predicament that the organization has to deal with. 
And um, do you think is I know this is something that people around the league have talked about. Is there anything that the league can do to address situations like this so that hopefully I'm not sure if they can be totally avoided, but something can be done to kind of mitigate the, the problem that occurs when this situation comes up? Well, it was messy. Um, in my opinion, it was extremely unprofessional of James Harden and the way and the manner that um, all of that um, went down. I mean, you have to go back to, to training camp and then obviously the, the start of the season wasn't all that great. I mean, look, he had an amazing opening game uh, at Portland um, and then things kind of went south uh, from there. Um, I, I'm These things typically don't ever end well. Um, but I thought, again, I thought the way that it was, was handled was extremely unprofessional, but for James, it was, you know, I suppose much like Anthony Davis, it was a means, um, to an end, um, ultimately got him to a place, um, that he wanted to be. And, and quite honestly, even before, from, from where I sit, even before all of that started, even before training camp, um, began, uh, Mike D'Antoni wasn't coming back. Uh, Daryl Morey left initially to say that he wanted to spend more time with his family. And then, I don't know, somewhere around 35, 40 seconds later, uh, ended up signing um, with the Sixers. So you had a new GM, you brought in a new head coach and Steven Silas. For me at that point, um, I was kind of ready to sort of, um, I thought that that era had kind of run its course at that sure. point. And then everything that transpired with James was just sort of um, just lent some more credence to, to that opinion of myself at that point. And then again, when he went into his post-game uh, press conference after the Rockets were beaten for the second time in a row in blowout fashion by the Lakers and said, we're just not good enough. Um, you knew that in there, that that was ultimately it within a couple of days. Um, he was traded. I know a lot of people and analysts and um, fans of the league have debated about that particular trade and whether or not, um, the Rockets ultimately got enough in return for James Harden, but typically when you play, when you trade a player of his caliber, you're never going to get full value uh, in return. But I think of all of the rumored potential deals that were on the table um, for an organization that I personally was ready for them to start a rebuild. Mm -hmm. um, I thought this was the best possible package. I mean, who knows what Brooklyn's going to be like uh, in another couple of years. They, they ultimately did not, go as far as they were expecting to uh, this year, due in large part to injury. Who knows how next season will go. If next season goes very similar to the way this past one went for the Brooklyn Nets, do some of those guys who can be free agents decide to maybe move on um, to another address, to another team, and then all of a sudden those picks that you got from Brooklyn who are unprotected all of a sudden look really, um, really good. Not to mention it allowed the Rockets to – um, get bad. Now they were not trying to lose this past year. Uh, it happened organically. Um, but, and then they ultimately kept their pick. So the pain, I suppose on some level was worth it. And now the Rockets again in earnest with this pick, with the picks they have in this draft and keep in mind outside of Oklahoma city, there's no team in the NBA that has more draft picks than the Rockets do in the next handful of drafts. So um, I think there is an opportunity to quickly rebound uh, and rebuild from the ground floor again with the, the core four, as we called them last year, of young players who look like they belong in the league and Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood and Jay Sean Tate and K.J. Martin. So um, I think the Rockets are going to um, have a pretty exciting, young, talented core 
that hopefully can develop into a nucleus of a team that A, can get into, get into the playoffs to start, and then B, maybe within, say, three, four years or so, legitimately have a chance to, to go deep into the playoffs and, and fingers crossed, uh, compete for a championship again. Yeah, Craig, you know, I think we could probably devote an entire separate podcast to maybe that question that I just asked you and just the top. Oh, I, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't answer the second part of it, did I? I don't know, you know, can, there any, can, the, can the league do anything about it? No, uh, because this is a player's yeah. league um, and star players in particular have all the power. Um, I guess we're going to be keeping an eye on the Damian Lillard situation uh, in Portland. But typically, it, I've always felt like in the NBA that if you, you need at least one, if not multiple of the top 15 guys in the league in that particular season to legitimately consider yourself a championship contender and anything outside of that, then you might be good, but you're not going to be a legitimate title contender. That's just the way the basketball is. And so that's why those guys, especially at the elite elite level of talent have so much control and so much power and so much leverage. And I just don't think there's anything that anybody can do about it. Um, it is what it is. And if one of those guys ultimately wants out because things are going South, then I think ultimately the teams will acquiesce and trade them. Craig, by the way, you don't have to apologize for not answering or addressing a specific question because as Daniel will tell you, I'm infamous on this podcast for <laughs> not, not always getting to every question that he, he asked me. Sometimes I'll go on a extreme tangent and forget where we started. So don't worry about that. It's I appreciate fine. it. Thank you. Thank you. He said it, not me, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, um, like I said, I mean, we could have a, we could bring you on later in the off season to talk about player movement and player empowerment. And I think this is just me throwing in, this isn't my two cents. This isn't really a question, but um, I feel like it's one of those things where it sounds great on paper to be like, you know, everyone's supportive of the players. They should be able to control their own destiny, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, you also have to realize, especially when a move is done, like I said, during the season that you're not playing tennis or golf where one player can just say, oh, you know, I'm not going to play in this tournament and everyone else can just go on about their business. The number of people that you affect by doing a, move, a decision like that, like I said, in the middle of a season is, is incredible, whether it's the coaching staff that has to change the front office. Sometimes it leads to changes, which, you know, was the case here as well. I mean, it's just an endless number of people that you affect. That's the only issue, not the only issue, but one of the issues I have is like, it's like a decision. You can't make these decisions in a vacuum when you're playing a team sport. If you want to, if you want to do whatever you want, like I said, you could play something where it's one-on-one and you're the only person involved and you don't have, including players that whose careers are also affected. But anyways, I could, I could go on and on about that, but I won't. I I don't disagree with that. Uh, As I said, I thought what James Harden did was extremely unprofessional and quite honestly, I thought what Anthony Davis did was a step past that in terms of the lack of professionalism uh, involved in there. Um, Yes. You would hope that they would have, um, some of that in mind uh, when this stuff um, transpires. But again, um, it is what it is. Um, very few people in life um, ever have the opportunity uh, to sort of basic, basically control everything when it comes to your um, profession. And once you happen to have that kind of uh, leverage, uh, even, even though it might be unprofessional, even though it does ultimately affect a lot of people, my guess would be just human nature would be most people 
would ultimately take advantage of that of that leverage and use it to their advantage. So I, you know, again, um, it's not fun. It's messy. I don't like it. Um, but I don't know if I necessarily fault the individuals who try to use that leverage um, to their advantage. Um, again, I, it's just it's just it's part of this particular sport in particular with those players having so much have, having such a hand on the success or lack thereof of franchises that ultimately sure. if, if it's they decide they want to move on then they're usually going to get their wish you know i promise to get back to the future and not looking backward as it's far okay as the rockets go but i mean one quick thing i will say along the lines of what you were just talking about in terms of the davis situation i think in hindsight one of the things that alarms me the most when i think about it is the fact that he told teammates in training camp that year that he was considering going or that he was going to leave. And just the tone that that sets for that season was very similar to what happened with Harden, where you knew at the very beginning, just by the way he operated during training camp, where he was out and about doing whatever he wanted. And, yeah. you know, the pro the COVID protocols is a whole other discussion we don't need to get into, but um, that was another thing that was similar. So, but again, I'm going to go, I'm going to get back to, uh, looking forward and it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to spend time worrying about, or, you know, focusing too much on what happened in the past that we can't change. So I'll, I wanted to ask you, you know, you talked about some of the young guys that the Rockets have that played um, a good amount in the second half of the season. I remember the Rockets were here in um, I think January maybe and beat the Pelicans pretty soundly. And then they came back a couple of weeks ago and it was kind of the opposite result. And that was right after, um, Christian Wood got hurt and they went on the Rockets obviously went into a big tailspin, but mm -hmm. I think we all, we, we all know that the silver lining sometimes when you have a, a season goes sideways like that, is you get guys on the court who, who play more than, than even they probably expected. But what do you, what were some of your biggest takeaways, I guess, from the second half of the season and those last say 30 or 40 games, as far as what you can build up, build upon from that? Well, as everybody suspected, Kevin Porter jr. Is incredibly talented and, um, I, it's going to be interesting to see what, if anything, happens with with John Wall. And, I, and I'm not – I thought John Wall, before he kind of got uh, banged up a little bit as the season went along, um, was playing very well, especially considering he hadn't played um, in, in two years. And, and obviously we weren't around the players like we normally are, but everything that I've heard about John Wall is that he is a professional. He's a really nice guy. Um, but – Kevin Porter Jr. got to play a lot. He was given the keys to the car, if you will, running the team. Uh, and um, the question now is, can Kevin Porter Jr. be the best player on a championship contending team? Is, is he a second? Can he be a second best player? Where, where is his ceiling um, ultimately? I think that that process began uh, this past season. There's things, obviously some things that he needs to continue to work on. Um, but he's super talented, very athletic, um, was extremely fun to watch. And so that, that was certainly uh, a joy in the second half. After the Rockets, after the 10th game of their 20-game losing streak, when a lot of the veterans uh, either stopped playing due to injury or just stopped playing, um, that, from that point forward, even though the Rockets still didn't win a ton, um, it became a lot more exciting and enjoyable for me because you watch Kevin Porter play. KJ Martin is a guy who they acquired in a trade from Sacramento, second round pick, the son of Kenyon Martin. Uh, there is no player on the roster who improved more 
from when training camp began to the end of the season than KJ Martin. When he was in training camp and when the season began, it was pretty tough for him. He went down to the G League, played in the bubble, played very well down there in the G League bubble. And when he came back, was a completely different player. He could, you could, he could facilitate a little bit. Obviously, his, his explosiveness and athleticism was off the charts, was able to really shoot it well um, from three. So that was a, a bright spot. Uh, Jay Sean Tate's a guy who, um, you know, w- was a center, an undersized center at Ohio State, what played in what was it Belgium and then was in Australia and then came over uh, with the Rockets and uh, I, sort of a mini Draymond Green, if you will. He's not Draymond. Draymond's been in the all-star game and Draymond's won multiple championships. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to say he's Draymond Green, but he's sort of Draymond Green like in, in, in that um, he can defend, he can play make, uh, he plays bigger than, than his size. Um, he's older, um, especially for an NBA rookie in his mid twenties, but I think he is absolutely an NBA uh, rotation player. And we found that out this past season, Christian Wood, um, uh, you know, you guys had him in, in, in New Orleans briefly. And I think frankly, that's when Christian Wood started to show the league what he can do after at the end of the season, when they finally told Anthony Davis to go away, right. When I think Anthony Davis, he missed like the last seven or eight games, uh, if memory serves yeah, at, at the end like that, yeah. of his last season, Christian Wood got some, got some run with, with New Orleans played very well, ended up signing with Detroit split time, uh, initially um, uh, with Drummond. And then ultimately when Drummond was told to go sit while we work on a trade, he was given the opportunity um, to start and play and play great. Ultimately worked that into a sign and trade with the Rockets. Uh, it's basically a 20 and 10 guy. Now he needs a lot of work um, defensively, but he's an incredibly talented guy. So that was a, a high point of, of last season as well. So again, even though things, especially, um, after the middle portion of that, the, the first 10 games of that 20 game losing streak were really rough. Sure. Um, and, um, but after that, to watch some of the, and then once Christian Wood came back from his injury to watch these young guys play and then develop some chemistry, um, I think it, it provided for a lot of excitement for people around here and for fans that there is, again, as I mentioned earlier, there is a foundation of young players um, that they can, they can build from and move on with into a new era. So I, I think because that, again, it's, I think it's uh, an exciting time to be uh, a Rockets fan. One stat I saw from the Rockets past season that I couldn't believe that I'm not sure if I've ever seen before is they've only, they only had one player who appeared in more than 51 games and that oh. was Jay Sean Tate. So, I mean, that, that, that definitely illustrates the injury issue to a Lots of them. large degree that you would have every single player on the roster you know, missed 20 plus games or maybe wasn't on the roster or added later through a trade. I mean, so you just have utter chaos as far as rotations and stuff like that, but um, we'll form a, we'll form a support group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause I think we had something similar to that in 2019, maybe not to that extreme, but um, I guess what I wanted to ask you is, you know, obviously you're going to add someone in the draft who you're going to be excited to watch play this season, but how much of this upcoming season do you think is, um, just about getting more experience and getting some kind of cohesiveness and chemistry as far as just based on the stat, I said, these guys have not played together enough to really have a good feel for what you have, whether it's individually or, or team wise. To me, it's still all about player development as was the second half of last season. It's all about developing and playing these younger guys and getting a firm grasp on exactly 
what you have. What, like I mentioned earlier, what is Kevin Porter Jr.'s ceiling? What is Christian Wood's ceiling? Um, if the Rockets take Jalen Green and or Evan Mobley, what is their respective um, ceilings? I, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm me personally. I'm probably leaning towards um, Jalen Green for the simple fact that. Um, as good as, you know, obviously Jokic won the MVP and I'm a big fan of Joel Embiid. He's obviously a dominant player. Uh, I, th I think in the modern NBA, um, until somebody proves it, um, when your best player is your big, can you ultimately win a title? To me, that's why I kind of lean a little bit more uh, towards green over Mobley. Big guys also tend to take a little bit more um, time to develop, it, develop. But if the Rockets ended up selecting Evan Mobley, I would be perfectly fine with it. But again, whoever they select there, it's about their development, how they fit in with these other um, young guys. It's about building um, for the future. It's about getting these guys um, experience. I think the Rockets um, have an excellent coach and Steven Silas for that. This may not have been ultimately what he signed up for when he agreed to be the coach and that Russell Westbrook was here and James Harden was still here. And he thought he would be coaching a team in his first go around as an NBA head coach that would compete for a championship. Obviously that changed dramatically, but I think he has the right temperament. I think he has the right background um, to be a head coach that can be patient with these players and develop them uh, and have good communication with them, which is always very important, uh, especially for young players uh, in this league. So that's what I think this upcoming season is about. I'll be honest with you. I think that's probably what the, the, the following season is going to be back uh, about as well. I don't anticipate the Rockets being back uh, in the playoffs um, anytime soon, especially with how tough um, the West is. So it's, again, it's about the future. It's about getting these young guys as much experience and then ultimately seeing what you have uh, in them. And do you have a player that can fit into that top or 10, 15 mold a year or two uh, from now, um, where the Rockets can look themselves in the mirror and go, you know what, we're back to where we were with, with James Harden over the previous eight seasons. It'd be interesting come next Thursday, the NBA draft at 7 p.m. Central Time, the Houston Rockets with pick number two, Craig Ackerman, radio and television voice for the Houston Rockets. You can follow him on Twitter at CA underscore Rockets. Always a great follow. And I know Pelicans fans will be looking out for what the Rockets do at number two. Craig, I really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the offseason. We'll talk to you down the line. Uh, thank you. Likewise. And uh, all the best to you guys. Good luck in the draft. And uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed that we can actually see each other in person sooner rather than later this upcoming season. I think everybody in our position uh, would prefer to get back on the road and start traveling again. So let's hope, hope that's the case and uh, look forward to seeing you guys in person very soon. Likewise, my friend. I'm really sick of these Zooms calls. So. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> Thanks, yeah, Craig. Great speaking with you, Craig. There he goes. Craig Ackerman, radio and television voice of the Houston Rockets. So we'll venture on to pick number three tomorrow on the podcast. Chris Fedor, uh, who covers the Cleveland Cavaliers up there in Ohio. He joined us last year. It seems like we are having some of the same guests here from last year, which was just in November. But uh, these teams are in the lottery once again, and uh, they are obviously great at giving us a preview of what they might do. So, of course, it really does start with the Houston Rockets. It does seem like the Pistons will go with Cade Cunningham number one, nothing official, and still a long way to go come next Thursday. Who knows what can happen? But this is where two, three, and four are really important, not only for the Pelicans, but those teams in the five to nine range, um, what these teams do with the top four is that's what everyone is kind of focusing on 
um, come next Thursday. So tomorrow we focus on the Cavaliers. Thursday, the Toronto Raptors, and then we'll wrap up the week with Dante Marcatelli of the Orlando Magic. He'll help us with pick number five and also pick number eight that they acquired from the Chicago Bulls. You follow the, the show on Twitter at Podcast Pelicans. That's where you can find yesterday's podcast with Rod Beard. And that's where you can also find today's link to the podcast, which you can also listen to on pelicans.com, the Pelicans mobile app, and you can download the entire podcast on iTunes. For Jim Eikenhofer, I'm Daniel Salerson. Thanks for listening to this Tuesday edition of the Pelicans podcast presented by Seeking.